That is not dead, which can eternal lie, and with strange eons even death may die. Welcome to the Great Old Ones Gaming Podcast. I'm your host, Nate, lost in time and space. I'm Man from Leng, host of the Whisper and Darkness YouTube channel. I'm Innkeeper Vase Odin from the Twisted Tentacle Inn. And this is Nathan, the primordial glue that holds everybody together. <laughs> <laughs> How are you guys tonight? Good. Doing great. Nice. Uh, not too bad. Not too great, but you're the glue. Oh, you need to just be shove it. <laughs> and so, uh, well, what you guys been playing recently? I have been playing the hell out of Marie and uh, enjoying her quite a bit. She's a very good investigator. Uh, that extra action that she gets when you've got a doom on her is awesome. She's got high intellect, which is awesome. Not uh, not the greatest at combat, but uh, I'll take what I can get. Have uh, you had some very good games through. with her? Are you Pardon? using her solo? Yep. And what campaign oh. did you play her through? Just returned to the Night of the Gathering. A classic, a classic. But she struggles in she struggles really hard in uh, the Midnight Masks because it. It has a lot of stuff that's really not geared towards her. The locked doors are a pain for her. She doesn't have really a good answer to those. and She's got enough combat to take down a couple of big enemies, but she doesn't have quite enough to, to kill everything. So the longer the game goes, the, the board gets, starts to get clogged and she starts to run out of options. And, and uh, it can really be difficult to scrape by at the end, but... And, of course, it has that, I mean, the doom threshold on those agendas is very, <laughs> very tight. And so an investigator who benefits from adding doom to uh, the table can't uh, really flex that power all that much without uh, potentially uh, ending your game sooner than you would like. And I've played her through uh, the witching hour as well, and, I mean, there it's a lot. You've got a lot more flexibility because the doom thresholds are so much greater. But you, you hit something like Midnight Masks, and it's just like, I'd really love to have uh, have what's-his-name on the table right now, but uh, I can't because, you know, I just I can't afford to add the Doom to him. Uh, other than Midnight Masks, how, how have you been managing the Doom? Have you found it pretty much easy to manage, or...? Yeah, I don't. I don't find it too bad. I, I at one point I took. I've been playing around with a couple different builds, sort of swapping in, swapping cards in and out, trying to find the the right mix. But at one point I'd taken out all the moonlight rituals because I didn't find that I was using them to remove doom. But then I think I ran into one game where I was like, yeah, I might have been able to, might have been good to have it there, but. Uh, so I've I've cut it back to a copy, and I was running I was running two copies of Storm of Spirits, but it's a little too expensive, and it doesn't do quite enough. I really hope they release a, a, a higher experience version of that card because I think it would be amazing to pick up. Like if it did say four experience for four damage or something like that, so you can hit some of those 
tougher enemies because or it'd be good if they released it as storm of sprites and then you're looking at it going to hell <laughs> what that's right oh. i would just i would just settle for the damage because i know i've been sitting there and with i think in the one when i was streaming a, a game i ended up with two two uh, night gaunts and uh, I did manage to kill both of them, and Storm of Spirits was in instrumental in that. But it would have been nice to have a little bit more damage and, and not having to take... The only reason I was able to kill both is because I did have four actions. A are little you... lemon-lime action, kill them all. <laughs> are, you, um, are you leveraging her intellect, or are you using a right of Seeking and Sixth Sense? No, I'm just using her intellect and the, uh, the camera from... Uh, Oh, the camera, yeah. What's That's what's a, it called? The hyper the Hawk, Hawkeye, 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 Hawkeye the Hawkeye folding camera, and uh, I use Hawkeye folding camera and Saint Hubert's key. Yeah, if you have nothing else for your hands, you can have two Hawkeye cameras and Saint Hubert's key. Yeah, well, I, <laughs> I find that in in I mean, it's awesome if you can get both the Hawkeye camera and Saint Hubert's key down, but uh, I mean, the Hawkeye is so temperamental when it comes to timing i mean it's it's amazing if you draw it early but the later the game goes obviously the the less useful it becomes whereas saint hubert's key it actually becomes more viable the game the longer the game goes it's still viable i should say it's not like the hawkeye where it's like well i'm pretty much done discovering clues so i'm not gonna I can't really play it at this point. It's just so expensive. That's the other. That's the prohibitive part of. Well, the yeah, Saint Hubert's key is very expensive. But if you've got, uh, I'm blanking on names tonight for some reason. I don't know why. What's his name? Uh, the ally ben. who gives who gives you resources. Milan Christopher. No, no, not him. The Christopher uh, Renfield? Renfield. Renfield. If you've got Renfield down, I mean, resources have never been a problem to the point where I've I was playing a copy of Emergency Cash in there just in case and. I think that needs to come out as well because resources just have never been an issue. I think we need to say Renfield like um, Farnsworth says Wormstrom in Futurama. Renfield! Every time you play him or whatever. Right, new yeah. rule. New, new it's, rule. I'm making it like the taboo list. You don't have to use it, but you have to use it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Renfield and Marie are amazing together, but I mean, when you when you are playing the Midnight Masks and you end up having a doom on him i mean you really want to keep that doom on him but by the same token it's less like as you watch that doom tick up it can be really tricky trying to time when you when you get rid of him was that like a really subtle shout out to buy the same token on etsy no <laughs> yeah there's just some scenarios that are so dependent on running through them quickly because uh, what's that? The greater good is also really, really. I the mean, greater good. For, for the greater good, right? Yeah. Yes. Uh, the doom just moves so fast on that one. I, I would be so scared to play any card that plays with doom. Or Essex County, or. Or Essex County. That's another yeah, one. Yeah, Essex County. But but I think Marie. Like I haven't played Essex County with Marie, but I suspect that because she's got four intellect, that she could probably race that thing. Um, and beat it well before the the doom became an issue. Like We're if, gonna find if, out in two weeks. The the, the, the trick with that one, I mean, if you can get through, say, a couple of cars before you start removing cars, you're in really good shape. 
Yeah. There's and two I've... Marines playing in the league, in the League of Extraordinary Investigators, and that's oh. the next scenario coming up. Well, speaking of the the league, had you play? Did you play your skids game? I did, and man, I just have such bad luck. It it went really well. Um, I got four experience points, and I was able to resign, getting an R two, and then I go to pick up my camera, and it had disconnected seven minutes into the game. So, <laughs> so I had to redo the entire game. Only this time, it went so mm-hmm. it went worse than I. I must have played. 15 practice games and in every single one of them even the ones where i was defeated i got at least three experience points but in this one it just did not happen it was so bad everything just went downhill so quickly like halfway through and it just kept rolling downhill like it was so bad i ended up with I watched part of that game, and I think there was one point where you were trying to investigate, what was it, um, the administration building or something? Yeah. Or the administration office, and you drew, like, a negative four into a negative three. It's like, yeah. Ugh. And I needed that? a flashlight. I had two flashlights in the deck, and they, both of them were in the bottom of the deck. Uh, and it, hmm. it didn't happen in a single game that I played of my test games, which is fine. You know, that can happen, but the... My token pulls were all uh, below average, and yeah. and See, then that's why I think it's just. I mean, you've got an investigator like Skids, who I, who I do like, and I have played quite a bit of, and and I do enjoy playing him. But he's got that three intellect, and he relies on. He's just not quite as quick. Like the difference between three intellect and four intellect just feels like like night and day. Well, one it really does actually. And then you play, and then when you play a five intellect investigator, like I remember the first time I started playing Norman, I was just like, wow, this is like, I was trying to play this deck manipulation build, and I'm just like, why bother with this? I mean, I'm just faster. <laughs> like, I'm just running through everything. I'm, I'm beating the scenario before, like, trying to manipulate any of the decks is pointless because I'm just going so much faster than the than the scenario is so yeah real quick uh so lang that's what you've been doing playing marie and enjoying her which is good mm-hmm. and then vase what have you been up to in the world of arkham well in arkham i i'm doing the league uh with skids which i'm having a lot of fun despite the you know the shortcomings um it's been a lot of fun and learning skids i'm you know every game that i play even if i lose i learn a lot um and then i've also been uh, playing, you know, with my meetup group, and we're starting a, a Circle Undone campaign next week. Uh, so we're going to be starting brand new, and I have decided, thanks to your help, uh, to use Daisy. So I've been working on building a deck for her. Nice, nice. Are yeah. you planning on um, using some of the new cards that came out, or are you going to... Most definitely. Uh, I have been looking really into a few of those new cards definitely enraptured uh, seems to work really well in the build that i'm working on and there's one card knowledge is power which seems like a dumb card initially <laughs> like a very niche card but it, the more i look into it it's a fast action so the the card is a, a level zero cost zero it's a fast action you can only play it during your turn uh, you can choose a tome or spell asset either that you either control or that you have in your hand, and you can play an action or fast action ability, ignoring all costs. 
Uh, so basically, it, it's almost like getting a free, let's say if you need to use Rite of Seeking or if you need to attack with Shriveling, you're getting a free attack and you're not going to get an attack of opportunity or, or anything of the sort. And you can attack with a Shriveling for free and still have your three actions left. Or if you have something in your hand and you won't use a charge from it. So between that and Enraptured, I'm thinking like she'll have a lot of charges available for some of the more mystical aspects of her deck. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm just, I'm interested to play around with it and see how it goes. I got another question for you too. Are you playing with taboos or no taboos? Yeah, yeah we're starting, uh, I mean, I'm encouraging it. I'm not going to require anyone because some of the people in the meetup only have like two core sets and like Dunwich Deluxe. So I don't want to limit anyone. Are you forcing people you play with to wear corsets? Yes, yes, that is a requirement, um, but right. not the, yeah, not it's the tablet list. <laughs> it yeah. is, and that's why I do it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Nate, what uh, what have you been? Oh, never mind. You haven't been playing a lot of Arkham, have you? Well, I mean, I did get a chance to play for a couple of days after I got back. I did play through a solo campaign of Yorick through. Uh, the circle undone which went pretty okay until we ended up having to go through uh Kasai mason's house and that was not well at all whatsoever york has such a rough time trying to get clues and that scenario is so brutal once you get up into uh the room there uh walter brown's room yeah so Ugh. so yeah nahab gave me a quick quit smacking on that scenario and then yeah moved on and Managed to get one of the ghosts from Wages of Sin, and then, yeah, for the greater good, didn't end up so well either, so, um, and then, other than that, I also finally got, um, my three ultimatum playthrough of Solo Rita through Return to Dunwich recorded, so I'm in the process of editing that now, and that should be up on my YouTube channel soon, so, uh, yeah. Other than that, yeah, that's that's pretty much what I've been doing over the past few weeks. Are you doing Return to Dunwich or regular Dunwich? Uh, Return to Dunwich. Oh, cool. So yeah, it's all all the new cards, and then um, the three ultimatums that I chose were the ultimatum that gives you no experience, the ultimatum that makes you not skip the first Mythos phase of the game, and then the last one is the one that kills you if you're ever defeated Ugh. or yeah, so. Oh my god. <laughs> so, we'll see. I'm hoping to just make it past Essex, Essex County, honestly. I hope you're playing on Expert. Uh, no, we're playing on Standard. Expert Expert would be so brutal. Oh yeah, no, of course. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like with no experience alone, it's going to be a challenge in and of itself, because Rita's going to have such a hard time trying to get any clues. Brutal. Um, and I what are you up to, Nathan? Well, I just mentioned before we got underway that I have been doing my Father Mateo deck for um, one of our runs, the Forgotten Age run. And we did one of the scenarios in which we had some extra money. So my very first turn, I was like, hey, everybody, I'm going first. And they're like, all right. So I played Codex of Ages and Sealed the Elder Sign, which, you know, is not good for them, but good for me. And wow. I played Protective Incantation, which nabbed the negative uh, five symbol, or negative five token. And then I also played um, a Chthonian Stone 
which sealed the elder thing. So that was a, a fun way to start the whole thing off. That negative five is key. If you if you're able to seal that early on, it changes the entire scenario. Oh yeah, good times. And then before the end of the scenario, I played was it seal of the seventh sign, so that the last uh, couple plays of the game we had no uh, instant fail in in play. So overall, it was a pretty fun run. How many players? Four. And no one died. Uh, I'm not at liberty to say. <laughs> Wait, what about in the game? Any investigators defeated? Well, I didn't. I didn't mean in real life. Come on. Um, one may have gotten defeated, but he also might have been Calvin, so he was okay with it. Oh. And then, uh, are we going to go into our special giveaway, Nate? Ooh. Yeah. Um. So, continuing our giveaway from last episode, um, given to the confusion and the lack of clarity of the question... I'm and the sheer ahead. number of entries. Uh, whew. Yes, also that. <laughs> we should name this contest Confusion and Disillusion. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, we're going to go ahead and redo the question, but we're still going to give away the... Uh, the custom pins that uh, Miles from Orbits made for me. Um, but the question is, uh, what do you want to hear more of, or what do you like most about our podcast? So and either gonna, one. Either one. Uh, and we're going to accept all entries on our official um, Discord channel, which a link is provided on our website and in the show notes of this episode. So you can hop onto our Discord and chat with us and... Uh, submit your entries there, and uh, we'll pick a winner from that channel next episode. So you're going to want to stay tuned for that. That's right. Get out there and enter. Yes. Um, we want to give other... we want to give this stuff away. So make sure you visit the Discord and come by and say hello and yes. and enter this contest and chat with us. And you can literally chat with us for the rest of your life. <laughs> literally, because we've been around really forever. Nice Yes, eons, in fact. Yes. Don't, don't call to come back. <laughs> um, yeah, and other news, too. Um, Vase and I recently did a special interview with Shane Ivey. Uh, he's the co-founder of Arc Dream Publishing, and we had a chance to sit down with him and talk about Delta Green and uh, some of his other work that they've been doing over there. So that was really cool. Um and that episode is going to go live towards the end of the month. Um, so you're going to want to check that out as well. He's a really interesting person. And there's there was so much good uh, stuff when we were interviewing him. Uh, whether or not you're a fan of Delta Green, if you're into any Mythos games, um, Shane really really has an interesting uh, perspective. And he's done quite a bit for, for gaming, Mythos gaming in general. So... Definitely check it out. He's a he's a really cool guy too. Yeah, he's been working on Delta Green since the '90s. So he originally worked with uh, Pagan Publishing and then worked with Dennis Tetwiller on founding Arc Dream, and then from there they started publishing it. So and so for, it's really cool. For anyone uh, who's a fan of the King in Yellow, uh, his company Arc Dream Publishing. It just released a annotated edition of the King in Yellow. Uh, I'm sorry, which god is that? What's that? He's the, the King in Yellow. Which which god was that? The Dashiell Stone. It's big. It's Big H. 
Yeah. It's Big H, of course. Yeah. Oh, you're trying to get me. You know, what? Try, he's trying to trick you. Don't be tricked. Don't wow. be tricked. I almost fell for it. He so the annotated edition has some awesome information, like a lot of stuff you may not have known about Robert W. Chambers and the stories and where they came from. Uh, and the artwork is just fantastic. It's like a, it's like a fairy tale nightmare. It's amazing. Uh, so. A lot of cool stuff coming from Shane Ivey, and uh, if you're a fan of anything Mythos-related, definitely I highly recommend you check out this interview. I like how you say that as an obvious taunt to everyone listening to this. Yeah, of course. That's what what it's meant to do. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yeah, other other than um, than all the shopkeeping news, uh, main topics for tonight, we're going to go over the player cards from Union and Disillusion, the most recent Mythos pack to be released for the Arkham Horror Card game. Uh, We're also going to discuss the announcement of the new deluxe expansion, the Dreamlands, that was uh, announced earlier earlier this month. And then we're going to go ahead and move into um, trivia time and uh, fan-made content. So... Guys, what do you think about the player cards from Union and Dissolution overall? I liked most of them that I've seen so far. Um, I did like, uh, I know when I looked at them, when the preview came out, I I did like Warning Shot and Decoy and the Guiding Spirit. Uh, Wasn't crazy about Esoteric Atlas. It's probably good in certain uh, scenarios, but... uh, not others. Uh, Vase obviously likes knowledge as power, and, and I can certainly see the potential for that one. Uh, investments, I mean, that's just resource generation over a long period of time. <laughs> and the only one I'm kind of iffy about right now is telescopic sight. Uh, oh, they say you should put it on a shotgun and just have fun with it. Or a flamethrower. The only reason, the only reason, I, I mean, I just read it. I just sort of looked at it, and the, I mean, it basically makes your gun useless as long as anything is engaged with you. Now there are ways around that, but personally, sort of, the idea of making my gun useless, um, just in case you need to engage something. Oh well, I mean, of, stick to the plan. You could always play it situationally. It's a it's a strange choice. Like telescopic sight would be good for someone, say like skids, that can evade a monster and then move away and then shoot him from far away. Like I could see something like that for him, but he can't even take the telescopic sight. So, I'm not quite sure who they made that card for. I think it's more made for multiplayer, where you have someone like Rita or um, another investigator that's built to evade enemies and then you just have your guardian just like kind of sit back and shoot them sure like but a then bar or but then they're disabled like so someone's got to be at the location with the monster it's going to come to you anyways and then you can't deal with them because you can't hit someone in your location so it's it's really a strange choice i'm not quite sure what the purpose behind it was uh it's i you know i, I watched uh lang from uh your video a review of the cards on your channel on Whisper in Darkness. Yeah. And you mentioned, you know, the potential combo with like 
bandolier two and having another weapon in addition to a two-handed weapon with this but you mentioned how difficult it is to have like you need four cards to pull that off yeah well that's yeah i, I find that the more i mean you got a two-handed weapon you've got bandolier then you've got another weapon i mean it's possible i mean it's certainly possible that you can get all that down it's i'm just i'm just curious about this card i mean it's fast so that's good i mean you're not taking an action to put this on your weapon it's just that as soon as you attach it say you've got a shotgun you can't be engaged with enemies anymore if you want to use that shotgun you can use other weapons but you can't use your shotgun and and its cost is kind of prohibitive too because it's what and then so if you want to if you want to shoot something with your shotgun at your location it has to be engaged it either has to be not engaged with you which means you've either evaded it or somebody else has evaded it which is going to take actions or it's going to be engaged with somebody else and um, the idea of shooting at somebody engaged with an enemy with my shotgun I mean you're going to get away with it sometimes until you draw a tentacle and end up blowing that investigator away so that's I mean it's risky but then so then you say you move away to a different location and then you can shoot at it but you can only shoot at non-elite enemies so I don't know it's it doesn't it doesn't uh, excite me um, I guess that's the best way to it's not a card that I would be like when I'd look at the list of upgrades I'd be like yeah I need to buy this have we seen the the big guardian gun for this for this cycle, um, I guess maybe Unless the only it's thing the Tommy is. Gun. I don't. I would hope not. But yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe it works well with that, or something. But yeah. Maybe. But um, um, if there's justice, thing, it'll be a blowgun. You know, I think honestly, I think the big gun is that that spoiled that the um, grenades, Mark One grenades. I think that's their big gun for this cycle, because their bi really big card is that. The ally that costs seven to the play. The agency backup. Yeah. Oh, that's right. That's their big card. I can't imagine them having another big card like that. So the grenade is going to be their strongest weapon, uh, which is a really good weapon to be honest. But um, yeah, it. I just don't see this telescopic sight working with anything, and it's it's really mind. -boggling. Well, it's like they've tried. I'd I'd have to look back and see what this what the the game text on the Springfield is that just goes to show how often I've played that card. But they, I mean, they they keep trying to do something with shooting at enemies at at connecting locations. Like they had the Springfield, which I thought would sort of do it, but it doesn't. And they've got Marksmanship, which I think does work. And now they've got the Telescopic Sight, which it's like you can shoot at things at neighboring locations, but you can't shoot at anything engaged with you, which is. I mean, that's taking away an investigator's flexibility, which is what would concern me more than if if than it were else. in a class like Seekers that can search for cards pretty reliably now after all the cards release the cycle, you know, then they can get their their combo pieces into place. But there's no Seeker that can take this, and there's no Guardian that can take all those or that amount of Seeker cards. To be able well, to... maybe Roland, but I I don't mm. think I'd ever play this in Roland. Definitely not, and you know doesn't doesn't seem to be a Roland card to me. But I it's been a while since I played Roland too, so yeah. And the other combo pieces like uh, Warning Shot is a 
interesting combo piece with this, but then it's not an elite. The warning shot doesn't let you push elites. And I think this no. doesn't let you target elites either, right? So No. So you're but that, but uh, I mean, there's it's very rare. I think that that any card will t like. I mean, I think that there were a few in the core set and really shortly after that you could target elites with. But it seems most of the cards we've been getting lately are non-elite only. Mm -hmm. But I, I I mean, elite enemies aren't that don't seem to be that common either. I mean, it's like there's one big one per scenario sort of thing. Yeah, that's fair. I, I could, I mean, I, I could agree with that. So it's it's not a huge like I don't consider like if they slap like non elites only on a card, I don't really consider that to be a a death sentence for the card by any means. Yeah. Um. What about decoy? What does everyone think about decoy? I like it, but I think I liked it. It's okay. I need to check it again here. Oh, that's I the one where you get to. To yeah, that's, like that's the one you spend more. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll quickly read it off here. It's a uh, two-cost uh, rogue event with the favor and service traits. It has two agility skill icons, and it reads, Evade, automatically evade a non-elite enemy at your location, and it has a reaction that says, When you play decoy, increase its cost by two, change a non-elite enemy to up to two non-elite enemies, and has a reaction that states, When you play a decoy, increase its cost by two, change at your location to at a location up to two connections away yeah if you're playing an evade heavy deck this is the only way you can evade an enemy that's two locations away from you which i think could be i mean if the if the map is big enough that can certainly come in handy i could see that being useful in the witching hour witching you know, hour is uh, good <laughs> yeah when you know an enemy is going to flip onto a location and you can evade it ahead of time and then move into the location i think i think i'm sorry go ahead. I, yeah i was just gonna say in in the witching hour particularly it's nice because you can you can use it to evade annette mason and then move in and try to investigate all the clues before she gets back up and attacks you she's a lead i think isn't she oh yeah she is oh good point good point um, but I mean, you, you can could still... evade two of the witches. You the could witches, evade yeah. like the coven initiates. I think they're so you're not getting three yeah, opportunity attacks. Um, it's also really good in Carnivale where there's so many hunter enemies, and they're chasing you. So like, you can't evade them until they get to you. And if they get to you, that means they're attacking you that round. So if you can evade them while they're still on their way to you, at least it'll slow them down for a round. Um, and in Forgotten Age, it's. I think this this is actually really good in Forgotten Age. Yeah, I can yeah. see that too. Yeah, because there's yeah, a lot I mean, of hunters there too. Six it's... resources is a lot. That's a lot, it even is. for for somebody like Preston. Um, is you know I, was... I mean it's certainly possible, but um, let me reread this because I was wondering something. Location. Up to I mean, two. Yeah, it says up to two locations away. Up to two connections away. Okay, connections. Okay. All right. Well, I mean, I I think it's good against hunters, and you don't have to roll. And it's good against the alert keyboard uh, keyword, which is really prevalent in Forgotten Age. Uh, I mean, I would I would pay the extra two to evade two enemies with alert. 
Although it seems like um, elite enemies tend to have alert more, right? That tends to be the case, yes. Yeah. So I guess maybe we'd have to look at how many non-elite enemies have alert to see how good that is. Yeah, I'm not crazy about the rogue cards in this pack. Investments is really only good if you get it down early. I like investments. Plus, it might even go with... Uh, who, who's that guy that's got all the money? <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Fairmont? Sure. Mr. Preston Fairmont? I mean, yeah, but again, like, you if you get it early, it's good, but if you get it late, it's just... Sure. Yeah, so... So cards like that can be difficult. I mean, you to need assess. to just looking at it here. You need to like it costs one, so you need to you need to be able to free trigger it in two turns to get your money back, and then you need to take an act. So you need to take an action to play it, two free triggers to put two tokens on it, and then a second action to get the to move the resources. So that's and it's exhaust each time. So that's four turns. Yeah, my my problem with it with it is that why would you play investments over something like Lone Wolf? You don't have to play it over it. You just play it in addition uh, to Lone Wolf. What's good is you're not once you have it on the board. If you get it, like you guys said, I mean, you do have to play it early enough. But once you get it on the board. It doesn't cost you anything, and you're accumulating resources that you can later use for a big turn. Um, yeah, it is. Sorry. It it's, is it's good. It's three if you turns, not four. It's three. three you turn. need three turns to get your money out of it. And I find like an average solo game will go for ten turns. So, if you need it, mm -hmm. if you get it down quickly enough, you could you could net yourself a fair number of resources. If you don't see it, then you're, it's an intellect skill icon. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's the only thing that bugs me is the intellect skill icon. Because it's not a... I don't know. I think if this card had two icons, it'd be pretty pretty strong. Yeah. But um, one card I think that is strong is the only mystic card in the pack, the um, the Divermis Mysterious. Just wait a second. Are you trying to say that... Uh... What is it? Uh, fortune or fate is not a good card. I that is not what I'm saying. I'm, no, that's I not literally a heard card, you though. say. You literally just said it sucked. I'm just. Saying. <laughs> he oh, said no. Well. He said the only good mystic card, fortune or fate, is a survivor card. Right. I step out of this yes. conversation. Bad signal. <laughs> <laughs> um. Go ahead, yeah. Nate. <laughs> uh, yeah, Divermis Mysterious is a... I'm probably butchering that, too. It's a, um, it's a mystic days. asset. It takes up a hand slot. It has the item in Tome Traits. It costs two resources and two experience. It has an intellect icon and has an action that says exhaust it and place a doom on it. Play a spell or insight event from your discard pile, reducing its cost by one. After that event resolves, remove it from the game. So, yeah, this card is only... This is one of those cards that gets better as the card pool expands, and there's more good uh, spell and insight events that you want to be using this with. Um, this seems good when someone like um, Daisy or Marie, who have a decent access to insight events. 
Yeah, somebody posted on my YouTube channel that they had been playing around with this and they'd had really good results with it in Marie. So I'm looking forward to to giving it a, a shot. I think I might actually, this might be something you'd need a moonri- Moonlight Ritual for. Just in ca- if you want to, if you really want to hit this up more than once, say per agenda, I think you'd want a Moonlight Ritual just to clear it. Yeah, because the Doom is a big cost, but being able to reuse cards is very good. Yeah, as he meant, I think that I, I don't know his name, but he, he did mention that, I mean, this does target Marie's uh, signature card, so you can play it twice. Oh, that's very game. good. Yeah, that's so, very good. I mean, that's, that's buying you two turns right there. Plus, I mean, you've got Ward of Protection and their Deny Existence and anything else you need sort of whenever you need it so yeah um i think a card this this would be a bomb card with something like deciphered reality because that that card alone is insanely good in certain scenarios in multiplayer and if you can replay it even one time i would take a doom for something like that to be able to pick up a, a massive amount of clues in one action, or even a free action if you're Marie or Daisy, it seems to me like yeah, that. Yeah, I think there's a there's a lot of applications for this card, and I don't see a lot of people talking about it. But maybe that's just me. I saw someone in the Mythos Busters Discord mention it, but yeah, here's here's the only thing with this though. Um, so there's a there's a level three seeker card called i don't know how to pronounce it eidetic memory which does a similar thing it's um you you play it you it doesn't cost anything you just play it as an exact copy so i okay so i guess it costs as much as the insight that you're targeting but it's you target an insight card in a disc in any investigator's discard pile and you pay its resource cost, and you play it, and then you remove it from the game. You remove that event from the or that inside event from the game, but you're not getting any doom. And you can target any investigator's discard pile. So that's actually, um, yeah, it does cost an extra experience, and yeah, I mean there are good and bad things about both. I mean, eidetic memory also only targets insights where Dervermis Mysterious targets both spell and insights is well but it's an action right so it's not a fast action so there's a lot of spells um I think is um Ward Protection a spell it is right yep mm-hmm. you can't do that because it's going to be an action so you want to use Ward of Protection when you draw a treachery so you can't target Ward of Protection or the other one that came out in this cycle that's similar uh, yeah, oh deny existence that's so sort the, of reacting the only it. event that I can think of because you have to also play it on your turn is going to be storm of spirits and maybe yeah uh, the only one I can think of is storm of spirits unless something really good comes out in the next cycle or something which is certainly possible yeah they did spoil um, a card that we'll talk about later um, in the Dream Eaters, there is a new interesting event for the Mystics that they could potentially use with this card. Uh, 
um, it's called Open Gate, and it basically lets you play it on a location, and then if you have multiples in play, you can move between the two locations as, as though they were connected. Whoa. So you could you could use it to do something like that. But Which it stays be... on a location, though, right? Yes, but if you, like, discard it for some reason... Then you, you could can like, use this. Yeah. You can use it again, yeah. Yeah. So, so there's aspects like that, too, where you could you could discard the card to commit it for a, t a skill test or something, and then turn around and then use use the book to get it back afterward. And do you pay it? You don't pay it. Oh, you reduce this cost by one. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess for Doom, though, it has to be something good like the one you just said. So I think... I think going back to your first comment when you introduce this card, it's one of those cards that gets better as the card pool grows. I think you're 100% on that comment. And speaking of fortune or fate, I mean, finally... Um, Best Mystic Mateo, card ever. <laughs> Father Mateo finally <laughs> gets another card that he actually may want to consider upgrading to. Uh, Nathan, how do you feel about this card? Uh, I'm sorry, what's the card do? Uh, so that was a joke. I brought it up uh, earlier. Well, you uh, go ahead, you... for the people. Uh, for the people. <laughs> Sounds so French. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, survivor event, fortune blessed, cost two XP two, and you get a test icon of a question mark. Fast when play when Doom would be placed on a scenario card, max one per game. Cancel one Doom just placed on that card. Exile, Fortune, or Fate. And, by the way, Exile, if I remember correctly, is where it's removed from the game for that adventure and then comes back on the subsequent. No, you have to rebuy it. See, that's what I had said. And someone ex corrected me, and no, I was like, I'm pretty exile, sure you got to rebuy it. All no, right, well, good to know I'm right, right and then wrong on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, the Exile cards are... are oh, Exile! Often often very powerful so yeah towards the end of uh, end of campaigns when when survivors don't have much to spend their xp on they start buying exile cards and i've had a chance to play like this is basically like a, a mystifying song for survivors and i've had a chance to play mystifying song a couple times and it's won me games so it's not the type of card that's going to come in handy every scenario but so, yeah, the Exiles, the Rebuy, and I had that right in my head. The Remove from the game is the, you bring it back next adventure. I have a question. Um, when when you add Doom to the agenda, does that count as Doom being placed on a scenario card? Yes. So, I mean, this card can be used every, every scenario, I think, because at some point, if you have it in hand and the Doom's advancing, you can, li you can literally buy... Um, twelve extra actions with it. That's pretty. That's pretty nice. Yeah, I mean in multiplayer, if you if you if you need an extra turn, you're buying yourself twelve actions. Yeah, I mean that it, that's amazing. I've only pl like having played Mystifying Song in solo. I know it certainly has saved my bacon in in uh, Midnight Masks, where I needed one more turn in order to clear a, a cultist and resign. And so playing Mystifying Song bought me that turn. So if you're playing in multiplayer and you can buy yourself 12 actions, 
to finish the game, then yeah, this is worth two experience points easily. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's also worth noting that Father Mateo particularly also starts with five extra experience, so you know he can, he might have the extra experience lying around towards the end of a yeah, campaign good point. to, to spend on this. Um, yeah, I, I think it's neat that um, survivors get a card like this. It seems very on flavor for them to have a kind of card that lets you make the most out of a bad situation. That seems very survivor to me. Um, one thing I want to note, too, that I th- have been finding strange about all these packs is that there has still yet to be a card that heals horror for Carolyn. What is happening? Uh, wait a second. Are you talking about the botanist? Yes, Carolyn from <laughs> botanist, yes. Yes. Uh, I still haven't received any emails at carolynfernthebotanist at gmail.com. Um, yeah, well, there are. there is one, which is the... Uh, What's that one? The the cooking knife thing. <laughs> oh, the meat cleaver. Knife the meat thing. cleaver. <laughs> yeah, I'm blanking out. Look, Lang was blanking out earlier on card names. Now it apparently. It's uh, you do not talk about the Lang. Thank you very much. The the Lang's disorder is contagious. All right, you're going to be mm-hmm. forgetting cards. Too. Well, that's that's just old age. That's what that is. <laughs> um. Meat Cleaver is the only one I can think of. Uh, oh, and the level 5 that hasn't been released, the level 5 deny existence. Wow. Um, other than that, yeah, you're right. I mean, it's really surprising that they haven't done that for her. They, I think um, some people thought you could get the Enchanted Blade, uh, the level 3 Enchanted Blade yeah, for, no, for Guardians. But yeah, oh, she right, can't take it. It's a weapon. Yeah, so right, right. it heals harder, but she can't take it. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, just two cards. But yeah. but uh, but you've played probably you've played Carolyn the most out of us, Vase. You mm-hmm. you know how powerful she is. She probably doesn't need any more cards, right? No, you know honestly, uh, there's already plenty of horror healing cards. You don't need so much in her decks. You need a very small amount, um, because like some people say. It, Damage and horror is a res- it's another resource you can play with. And if you heal someone, you may do so once or twice a game where that you hey, actually need to. Hey, Vase, spell mm-hmm. out that word you keep saying, horror. What is that? <laughs> um, yeah, har- horror. H-O-R-R-O-R. Am I pronouncing it wrong? Oh, it's just, I, it's just not... I think you're doing it with A's. <laughs> <laughs> it's just not putting like a hard O sound on it like you would on these words. You know, hard. there's some words that I still pronounce really weird, and like February is a word that I can't say properly. Is that so a day of say, the week? What is it? Yeah, I say February, and people people say that I don't say it right, and when they repeat it, I think I'm saying it the same way. It's just weird. I don't know. So I guess horror is another one. Oh, you almost Did said it correctly. Right? Okay, cool. There you go. Practice <laughs> makes perfect. I'm just giving you crap. You're awesome. Practice makes hard. Um, anyways, yeah. Are there any other cards that you guys want to talk about in this uh, in this Mythos pack? Uh, no, I think that's good. There's, I mean, I think that there's some really good cards in this pack, and I'm certainly looking forward to sitting down and, and writing my reviews for them because I was a little tired of the, the whole dual class cards and then having upgrade like two upgrades a piece for each of them it's nice to sort of get back to a regular batch of 
cards with some level zero level zero cards in there that everybody can play around with and and then a few you know experience ones that cost experience points as well to yeah i was i was kind of surprised that they didn't kind of do more multi-class cards i thought that that was going to be something they would do more of throughout the cycle i'm kind of i guess i'm just kind of surprised it is well i think they i think they test the waters i'm sure we'll see more you know down the line i'm I have no insider information, but I mean, once they've once they've introduced the idea, I think we'll see more of them. I think they did miss the boat on requiring on not requiring the original dual class card before you can upgrade it. I think that would have been a really nice touch, even though it adds an extra requirement. It would make it more thematically appropriate, I think. Yeah, I would I would agree on a thematic standpoint, but I think it's kind of strange to enforce on just one card i mean seekers have had seekers have had that kind of mechanic from the very beginning or from dunwich at least when you know they have a bunch of cards that they can only upgrade they can only purchase if they upgrade from a you know particular level one or level zero card like archaic glyphs or whatever yeah but those usually have some sort of like condition or action that you have to do in order to do that you know, there's, there's like, something else that's added on top of it. It's not, like, mm. you know, it's not just a restriction on the card by its inherent nature, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, like, I see what you're getting like, at. Like, you're not, like, you're not restricting it just because it's a multi-class card. But, anyway. Um, um, and this might yeah. be too soon to bring up, but uh, do we want to talk about Bonded, since they've added that other new mechanism for cards? Yeah, we can well, talk. We can talk about that when we talk about when dream it comes. Leaders, I think. Well, yeah. speaking okay. of the dreamlands, um, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> uh, yeah, FFG announced the fifth uh, expansion for the Arkham Horror card game, the Dream Eaters expansion. Uh, man, why don't you go ahead and start us off with that? What is the, uh, what's the theme, and what's the potential story behind this scenario? Well, judging by the box, I mean, we're going to the Dreamlands, which is one of my favorite settings because that's where the men from Lang are from and the Plateau of Lang. So it's like a homecoming of sorts for me. And I'm crossing my fingers that we'll see a man from Lang encounter card at some point. Uh, judging from the box, it looks like Atlak Nacha is going to be the uh, great old one that we're facing, the uh, spider god who spins a web that connects all the, the various, uh, I think connects the dreamlands with the, the waking world or, or whatnot. Um, sounds like there is going to be not one, not two, but three campaigns. There'll be a mini uh, campaign set in the dreamlands, a mini campaign set in the waking world, and each of those will have one scenario in the box as well as uh, Three of the packs will be really each. Uh, three of the six packs during the the forthcoming cycle will be part of that, and then you also have the option of mashing them all to, together and playing a massive eight uh, scenario campaign. Huh. Well, that's interesting. It's also worth noting here. The article also mentions that this uh, this deluxe expansion is going to have ninety five scenario cards and fifty six player cards. So that's going to be the largest expansion to date for the card game. Um, mm. So that's that's, that's one thing really to note exciting. too. Yeah, 
Um, well, I think if you're going to run, if you're going to do too many campaigns in a box, you really you would have to, because a lot of those encounter cards are not going to overlap. Uh, I don't think you're going to get as much overlap as you would with some of the the other sets. Mm-hmm. Right. Absolutely. It's um, it's good to see that FFG is not living limiting themselves by their own precedents that they've set. You know, yeah. well, willing to take chances it, and. It's also. Uh, Matt Newman, who hates to be predictable, going, ha, a twist. Very true. Yeah, I think he, he puts on his best M. Night Shyamalan every night when he designs these scenarios. Um, what do you guys think about them doing this exclusive pre-order art print thing, too? I, have they done things like this in the past? I, I forget off the top of my head. No, I think this is the first one, but I know... FFG's shipping is outrageous to the plateau, so <laughs> I will never be ordering anything from them. The unfortunately, the art things are not new for them, but the exclusivity of it uh, is. So they they had a similar thing when you ordered the calendars for this year. Um, they were you got some art prints from from the art in the calendar, and that was that that's something that seems to be around the same thing that they're doing now but the calendars were only through their website it's not like they had distribution through game stores in this case it's kind of i don't know it's kind of a diss to local game stores <laughs> to do that because a lot of players are going to order a lot of especially like fans that, that are into collecting everything that the game has to offer are definitely going to order from FFG directly just to get those exclusives. So, yeah, I kind of I, I agree with you. I think it's kind of weird that they wouldn't offer something like this to local game stores. Um, Nathan, what do you think being a sales you know, manager of a yeah, local game I, store? I, I have two thoughts, and one is A, yeah, it's kind of shitty, but B, I also get where they're coming from where they want to like find out the demand or kind of get a get a finger on the pulse of the community by having them go directly through that. Um, and that's also a way to directly find out how many of those exclusives they need to make. Whereas if they didn't do that and overshot by a lot, they might have extra product. But I don't know. I, I don't think they would have done wrong by having to go to game stores in general. They could always reverse it and, and also have something exclusive to game stores during the uh, um, invocation, too. That would be nice. I, I do hope they do something like that. And now that you mention invocations, I think invocations are a nice touch for local game stores to get additional right. traffic. So, you know, that they haven't completely forgotten about the local game stores. So we do have to give them credit for that. Yeah, but hopefully they don't make these... Um like the calendar art prints where they double-side them. So they, they say you're getting eight, but really you get four double-sided prints. Hopefully you can, they make them single-sided and you can actually display all eight of them. So that would be one touch I would appreciate personally. But Good point. Um, yeah, what do, you guys, what do you guys think about uh, Luke Robinson, the investigator that was spoiled with this article? Um, he's a mystic investigator. He's the dreamer. He has four willpower, three intellect, two might, or two combat, and three agility. He is the dreamer, drifter, and wayfarer trait. 
and he says, uh, you begin the game with uh, the gate box in play. You may play one event each turn as if you were at a connecting location and engaged with an enemy at that location. And his elder sign is plus one, place one charge on gate box, and routing him off, he has five health and nine sanity. Um, and then to read the gate box real quick here too, it's a three cost asset, um, has, comes into play with three charges, and then has a fast action that reads exhaust and spend a charge, disengage from each enemy engaged with you, and search your bonded cards for Dream Gate, Wondrous Journey, put it into play, and move to it. Thank you for reading all that out. By the way, did anyone read his story in the Investigators of Arkham book? I have to reread it. Uh, it's it's good. It's very, very trippy. It's like um, going to a fish concert back in the day, eating some brownies, forgetting <laughs> you had the brownies and doing more brownies, and then doing a headstand on a keg. Uh it's, it's very trippy, which actually, in a way, kind of gives me an extra sense of excitement because as much as I enjoyed that quick story, I'm looking forward to seeing what they do with it. He, he seems really fun, um, but I think really campaign-specific. Uh, I'm not quite sure how effective his ability is going to be in... Sure. Certain... I think he's. I think he's. He's like your mobile mystic. He is mm-hmm. like he can move all over the place fast. Kind of like a Reedy Young from Mystics. Like if oh, you play, if <laughs> like if you play Luke in Forgotten Age, man, you will just crush it. I think because he can, like he can, he'll get to the the chamber. He'll just z- pop into his little pocket dimension, and then he he zips back to the entrance if you're playing heart of the elders like you can be as far from the the entrance as you need to be and then just pop into your pocket dimension and pop back like he he's it's basically like he has like a an an elusive on demand yeah um, scenarios where you have to move around a lot he's going to be really powerful yeah Um, and but he's the only thing that sort of disappoints me about him is that he's he's still one of these willpower mystics who uses willpower to fight, investigate, and evade, and he doesn't. Uh, so, he's not really breaking new ground in that respect. What do you think yeah, about? I, I agree with that criticism. What do you think about that ability, uh, where it says you can play an event at a different location, and you can assume he's engaged with an enemy at that location? What's your interpretation of that? Well, I assume that it's just meaning that, say, if you say you pop him into his pocket dimension with the gate box, he can basically draw into the flame anywhere at any time. But if he is considered to be engaged with enemies, he would take an attack of opportunity trying to do that. That's what I was getting at. I was thinking the same thing. So I think that's sort of just there to balance him a little bit because... Being able to, like, his gate box is a free trigger, so he can basically move for free and then play Drawn to the Flame anywhere Do you whenever think... he needs it and and grab, like, two clues. So that, that engage prevents him. It doesn't prevent him from doing it, but it does make him, like, he will get attacked. if Because if, you, if he didn't have that, say, you were you had a location that had, say, a couple of enemies on it, 
he pops to his pocket dimension, plays Drawn to the Flame, and, and gets away scot-free. He doesn't have to take any attacks. This way he can't do that. And I think it's it may also be important for... Uh, I can't think of any events offhand that... Uh, no, it would be he can play things like uh, Blinding Light because um, it's an event, so he can basically pop to his pocket dimension and then evade an enemy with Blinding Light. Uh, I think Bind Monster, uh, Banish, stuff like that he can play. That's really cool. Uh, the other card that I was sort of looking at with him that looks actually quite interesting now is Mind Wipe because he basically can go anywhere he needs to and mind wipe an enemy at a neighboring location. He doesn't have to be next to it, which basically will blank an enemy for a turn. I also like how he can pop anywhere and engage an enemy, so if you need something to be engaged for you to run through or do like a, a Hail Mary towards the end, you can tie something up, right? I don't think it works... I think it's, he's considered to be engaged, but he's not actually engaged. Kind of like the passive oh, keyword. Gotcha. Yeah, I think it's it works that way. Like he he would be considered to say if if um, I'll just use Diana for example. Say Diana is engaged with an enemy. Luke moves into his pocket dimension. He wouldn't be in, considered to be engaged with that enemy if he played, uh, say. Uh, I can't think of a, a good example. Like, he doesn't pull the engagement off Diana. He doesn't pull the enemy off her. She is still engaged, and he is still engaged. You know, I was thinking the same thing as Nathan. Um, like, do you pull the enemy with you? Do you bring him over? I, I think No, because for... the gatebox says that the enemies can't go into his pocket dimension. Well, you're That's... also just considering... Sorry to interrupt, but you're also just considering his on-class events. He could have an off-class that has events that you'd want to play from a connecting location. Maybe Good he point. Is, uh, like I, I, or... I suspect he's going to be straight mystic. I don't think he's I don't think he's going to be a... You don't think uh, they'll give him a trait or something? I don't think they're going to give him a second class. I think that he's probably going to be like a Kachi more than, say, an Agnes. I have nothing to base that on, but it just seems like... Given the cards that he has available to him right now, I would be quite happy to build a deck around him just with Mystic cards. Yeah, he seems pretty strong already. Yeah. Um, just with Mystic like, cards, like he it's said. It's like here, he, he gets to play Elusive at least three times per game on demand. I mean, that in itself is pretty, pretty good. And we, you haven't even started to... to to fool around with his other tricks at that point. Does does his um, <clears throat> at signature is it a signature asset or is it? It's yes. a signature asset. It starts the game in play. Uh, does it have charges or three charges? Yes. <clears throat> but if you pull if you pull an elder sign, he gets another charge. Uh, it's an. I think he could probably play recharge on it. Enraptured. It's an item, so he could play Recharge. Enraptured, I think, will add a charge to it. So there's no shortage of ways to get additional charges on this thing. So, yeah, it could get pretty... Uh, his uh, his weakness is pretty... Uh, potentially pretty painful, though, because he 
if you draw, uh, I'll just read out his weakness here. It's detached from reality, weakness, madness, revelation. If Dreamgate, uh, wondrous journey is already in play, flip it over. Otherwise, you search your bonded cards for Dreamgate, pointless reality, and put it into play. In either case, you disengage from each enemy, engage with you, and move to Dreamgate. So the uh, the flip side of his Dreamgate is a six-shroud location with zero clues, and he can't move away from it. So if you pull this detached from reality during the upkeep phase, you'll basically get tossed into that, into the dream gate, and you can't move away. He's only got uh, three intellect, so investigating a six shroud location is going to take some doing. So there's a chance you could just miss your whole turn and take two horror wow. if you pull his. Yeah, if you pull his, uh, his weakness, which sucks. Like, losing an entire turn where you can't do anything. You just sit there and spin your wheels, and then you lose. You take two horror. He does get to, I think it does let him move. It does just let looking him, at his, yeah, at the end, he does to get to move revealed. anywhere else. So, but, yeah, it's it's pretty painful for that for that turn. If you basically just take him out of the game for a turn... There's not. I don't think there's another weakness that does anything. Now he can still play events at locations. I believe he just can't. Yes, he can do that with it. His... No, no, he can't. It's not connected to any other location, so he is basically just cut oh. off. So you're essentially oh, losing brutal. an investigator yeah, wow, for a turn wow. in multiplayer. That's brutal. Well, wow, this it's is a like... very brutal. Very like I, brutal I think in weakness. solo, it's actually not. I mean, you're you're losing a turn, if you, unless you can. It still sucks. Which sucks, but in multiplayer, like you're losing an investigator for. It's like, oh, Luke, you'll do this in this next turn, and then suddenly you draw your weakness. It's like, <laughs> no, actually, you're not. And then I, I guess potentially, like, isn't it the in the Dunwich Legacy cycle where they re they'll shuffle your weaknesses back into your deck. So you could potentially draw this several times per game. <laughs> oh, that would be brutal. Ugh. Yeah, well, I mean, first turn, get sucked into your dream dimension and get stuck there for a turn. Have yeah, it shuffled back in, do it again later on. Ugh. Yeah, it's... But I, I I, quite like him. I mean, he's he looks like he's a lot of fun. He's going to be bouncing all over the... bouncing around all over the place, and... I think in in scenarios like the Doom of Estley, he makes that one look pretty uh, pretty straightforward. If you can just get to the end, and you, I mean, you've got an as long as you've got a charge left, you mm -hmm. win. Yeah, like you said, he has an, he has three elusives every game. Yeah, and it's we, not quite it's not exactly the same as elusive, but it's pretty pretty close. It's pretty close, yeah. So, um, and we, I mean, elusive was was tagged by the list of taboos so yeah so it's needless needless to say that that's a very good ability um, yeah but yeah was there any um anything else of note that you guys wanted to mention about the dream eaters i, I really like the artwork um kind of looking through a few of the things here like this one of the prints that they give you is a cat a white cat it looks really cool and then uh there's this gigantic skull with birds, ethereal birds flying around it. 
that looks really cool. And then of course the box cover looks awesome. Yeah, the only the only two things I'm the only other two things I'd mention is that there's the other bonded card that's that crystallizer of dreams. It's a rogue card, one cost asset with a willpower. And as an additional cost to play the card, you've got to put the guardian of the crystallizer into your deck. So I assume that's some sort of weakness. So that's an interesting ability where it's like, hey, you get to play this really cool card, but you've got to shuffle a weakness into your deck to do it. And then the open gate has the myriad keyword, which I don't know what that means, whether there'll be more than two copies in the pack, because to use the open gate, you have to have two of them on the table, which seems like to have two in your deck would be tough to tough to play unless you've got more than two <clears throat> copies in your deck. Mm-hmm. Or and it says group limit three in play, which probably I would assume implies that, you know, there's there is access to multiple copies. Well, but that could be just if you're playing with multiple mystics, right? The same the same problem you end up with uh, with, with uh, uh, delve too deep delve too deep where you end up having six copies played and so this uh, that caps it at three so you but i mean it's the the game text is investigator may move between any two locations with attached open gate as if the locations were connected so here's my theory on this Uh, a lot of people are speculating what you think lang which is that you can have more than two copies i think i think that it must be something where when you play it other investigators can also play the card or maybe you search your deck for the other copy and put it into play yeah it could be that um that that's but, another I mean, good one. that seems too good i was gonna say that it seems does, really good but the card also seems almost for one for one for one resource I could see maybe like yeah, that's true. Like playing it and getting the other copy in your hand, which would then require you to still go to the other location you want to play it at. But even that still seems really good. Well, here's the thing: the so looking up the definition, right, of myriad, a countless or extremely great number. I mean, that's the number yeah, one. Yeah, no, it's. I think it's going to be. There's going to be more than. There might be three copies. And it might be like history. like a painted world where you get three copies of it in, in the pack instead of two. Just to boost your odds of actually drawing two copies during a game. Maybe it's three or four, I don't know. But it seems like that you'd, you'd, you'd need more than just two because, you know, you the chance of you playing one open gate and the other open gate being like in the last five cards of your deck and you sitting there basically like you've wasted an action. And you're never gonna. It's never gonna pay off. I mean, it's an amazing card. Again, it just it totally hoses Doom of Estley. Where if you're playing four player, you drop. If you get lucky, drop an open gate on the the entrance. Go to the end and drop an open gate on the end, and then it's it's a cakewalk. Yeah, there's got to be some something more to it. I, I'm thinking it's more than just having three cards, because. If you play just one, those you know on the other side of the token. If you're playing just one, and the other one's stuck at the bottom of your deck, mystics don't really have uh, the card pool to search for another copy like like seekers do. No. So, you know, it it seems like very situational on whether you're able to draw two copies. 
So either, like you said, you get to search for the other copy right away, or something. There's something more to it, you know. Yeah. And the only other thing I'd I'd mention, the only other thing I'd like to mention is that something that I've been predicting forever on my YouTube channel has finally happened. We're finally getting swarms. Yay. So all those cards that that are great against more than one enemy are really going to get their workout. What was that one knife they released? Like, not the survival knife. knife, trench knife. Trench yeah, knife. trench. It's trench knife's day in the sun at last. <laughs> so they've got the they've spoiled the ancient Zug enemy, <laughs> which is basically doesn't. I mean, it's a three 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 enemy and it's aloof, but. At the start of the enemy phase, if if ancient Zug is ready, you have to add one swarm card to each swarming Zug enemy in play. Now, I'm sort of assuming that means you're going to end up with like a bunch of one 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 enemies that you're going to have to deal with. So, so anything that allows you to take down multiple enemies is going to be like Storm of Spirits is going to be awesome. The uh, the 45 Thompson, uh, the Rogue version, that'll be awesome. Like any card that lets you deal with multiple enemies at once is going to be is going to be uh, worth its weight in gold this cycle. And it's going to be a nightmare for solo players. And yeah, it's... yeah. Maybe, I mean, maybe you'll have like swarms of zoogs and then swarms of cats fighting each other. That might be. Maybe you'll get some cats. Maybe maybe investigators will get like a a card that lets them bring out a bunch of like swarm of ally like a swarm of ally cats that might be interesting that'd be oh cool God. zoe's gonna be a rich girl too yeah possibly yeah yeah so i i'm really looking forward to this this cycle i think it's gonna be cool i mean they also uh, spoiled tony morgan in the uh, the french asmo de france spoiled the the rogue investigator who's tony morgan i believe he's the bounty hunter I'm excited and he's, for him. And he's got five combat, which is our first big combat rogue. So he will be uh, interesting to play. And I think he's his. I don't can't. I, I haven't seen an English translation of his ability, but I think it's like similar to the Hawkeye folding camera, where like you kill enemies and you place tokens on on his signature asset, and then once you gain enough tokens, you get special abilities or yeah there's this like one that. um discord server for an inferior podcast where they translated it wow a French speaker um so they said that it's like bounty to tokens that you get to add onto enemies so that's that's kind of cool because it fits in with the rogue thing like if if the bounty to tokens get your resources then he's got his resource accumulation right there and he's a combat centric rogue i'm really interested in seeing what he can do yeah, and I and I just like the flavor in general for the Dreamlands. I think that's going to be a ton of fun. Yeah, you can. They can do pretty much anything with that. I mean, there's there's so many stories you could tell in the Dreamlands that they could do snakes, they could do ghosts, <laughs> they my, could my do only, theater. The only concern I have, Pools. and it's it's really a minor one, is just by splitting them into the mini campaigns and releasing like three packs for each. I don't know how, whether that's going to confuse, potentially confuse new players or like if one of the campaigns is inferior to the other, like you'd have to wait, like one pack comes out and then you have to wait another two months before you get the pack for the campaign that you're interested in. That's, 
you know, they've done a really good job of making all the, the campaigns really interesting. So I don't think that will happen. But I'd hate to see it where like the the campaign set in the Dreamlands is like awesome. And then the campaign set in real life is kind of not as good. And then you end up waiting for, for packs or players are confused. Like, okay, I bought pack one. What is the next? And then I bought pack two, but they're not, you know, they're not part of the same. I mean, you can play them all together as as an eight-part thing as well. So perhaps it's just... Yeah, well, it'll I'm, all work I out. I guess we'll have to see. Yeah, I'm yeah. skeptical of that too. I, I'm I'm always concerned about new players whenever a new cycle comes out. Like Forgotten Age really had me worried that you know it would turn a lot of new players off because of the difficulty. And this one, I, I hope I hope that it is something where they can work it out in the wording and the phrasing where they make it real simplified, because new players are already overwhelmed enough and as new cycles come out new mechanics come out it just gets bigger and bigger and it's hard for the developers because they got to keep it interesting for the hardcore players but they also have to make it simple enough for new players to be able to get in yeah i think matt does a good job at designing mechanics that are um that are interesting but simple enough to grasp for newer players um at least that's that's my opinion. But yeah, um, moving on. Um, Nathan, <laughs> Nathan, why don't you go ahead? That, and, no, hold uh, on. That was just such a fun segue. You, it, it's almost like you cut yourself off. It's, uh, and then my next thought. Uh, it was you know just a lack of a way to transition. But anyway, uh, Nathan. Hey, was, uh, Henry Wan would be hella proud with you. Thank you, thank you, Mister Wan. Oh, speaking of Henry One, we did actually have someone comment on the YouTube channel yeah, for the podcast. This. Yeah, someone someone played Henry One and you know had the whole setup going, where they they played him in a Jim Culver deck, no less. So I'm sure Nathan, you're all about that already. Of course. Yep. Um, yep. So we got him. Got him down. Had protective incantations. You know, rigged the bag, and boom. Use ten rewind to gain a whole bunch of resources and a whole bunch of cards. So they call that. So, so there you go, man. Slowed. It happened. Yep. Fushload in the Arkham terminology. <laughs> so were we going into the trivia? Or are we going into the fan made? Which one do we want to do first? Hold on. Let's no. take a phone call from a from a Patreon. Uh. Wait for it. All right. So which one do we want to do? Why don't we start with trivia time first? Trivia time. Excellent. Party on. I just made this up. Like, I'm going with the... All right. So here we are at trivia time. I have selected um, basically a card from each of the five uh, factions. And they deal with costs of the item, experience, or the abilities of items. Um, and, and there is a couple spells in there, too. So here we go. First one. Uh, and you can play play along at home, in the car, uh, comatose, in a sale, jail sale somewhere, whatever you want to do. Okay, as we all know, the Colt Vest Pocket uh, item, weapon, firearm, illicit, which costs two, um, gives you a bunch of fun stuff when you shoot it. You get plus one fight, plus one damage. Question, how much ammo does this give you? Five ammo. Oh, you got it. 
All right. Well, that wasn't a very exciting when people get it right. So next, that is that is correct, by the way. Okay, next one. Everybody can answer except for... No, Nate, you can answer if you get this one. All right, the next one. Lightning gun, six cost, five experience. Has a uh, intellect and a fight icon. Uses three ammo. This attack deals plus two damage. Question, how much fight does it give? Plus five. All right. Nate is somehow eavesdropping. Oh, I'm looking for a camera above me to see. No, man. No. I'm telling you, I know these. I was ready. All, all right. So, you know, the people at home have zero time to answer if all you East Coastians just chime in with your crap. Okay, next one. It is the Sixth Sense. Yes, it is the most played spell in the game that allows you to investigate using head instead of book. Uh, question. When playing the spell, how many charges do you get? Three. Zero. It's a trick question. It doesn't come into play with charges. Both oh. uh, Lang and Nate got it, but Lang got it first. Trick question. There are zero charges. Excellent job. I do like base quickly answering. Uh, next, feed the mind. All right, feed the mind uses three secrets. Um, costs two to bring out. Exhaust feed the mind and spend one secret, etc., uh, etc. Et How many experience points does feed the mind cost? Feed the mind one experience point. I think it costs three. Everyone's Googling it. Maybe well, the it. interesting thing is Vase cheated the whole first episode, and now we have Nate cheating the entire second episode. Three is correct, although we do have honorable mention to all of our Canadian uh, contributors in the form of the man from Lang. Okay. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I meant to say three. Uh-huh, sure you did. But all right. I said one, but it's my <laughs> uh, nephew, I'm sorry, my Vase, nephew you... Juan... Could you clear and the channel? And he's three years old. My machete needs you to clear the channel. <laughs> All right. Last question. So everything's been easy to this point. Can we agree? Because people keep on interrupting me with the correct answer. So now we have newspaper. Uh, Frank Brinkley's favorite thing to ex exclaim on one of his podcasts. Uh, in, the, in the card newspaper, I'm not even going to talk about what it does or the upgrades you get with the level two. I would like to talk about the fact that the paper, the Tribune, has two predominant words for the most part on the paper. One deals with a criminal, the other one deals with something going on during the time period. For a thousand points, can you get both of these answers? No. That's a tough one. Not even for a thousand points. What about if I said I love you 3,000? Is this, is this in the art? Yes. So once again, one of the names deals with a criminal of the time period. Another name deals with something that was predominant during this time period. I'm going to assume Capone and Correct. something about Prohibition. You can just go suck a rock. Wow. 
Wow. That, no that one way. was a complete shot in the dark. No way. All right. That I'm going to now officially email you Anthrax because you're pissing me <laughs> off, Nate. <laughs> I said they're carefully designing this to stump literally all three of you. Uh, whatever. You know, I'm done with it. It's fine. Going on to the more important thing, the thing that Nate won't know anything about, a fan made. So, uh... <laughs> oh, I, see, I see how it is. Whatever. Here we are with... Uh, congratulations. Go ahead and write to uh, Innkeeper Base at the Twisted Tentacle Inn, and he'll give you something. Um, we have... Uh, Happy's Funhouse, which is a pretty creepy episode done by Nathan Sauter. S-A-U-T-E-R. Um, and I actually talked with Nate. Uh, he... Not me. Chatted, chatted with me. Well, Nathan. He chatted with me after he had a kiddo, which is fantastic. Um, and we talked about possibly doing a collaboration or or uh, doing a couple changes down the way. But the concept with the, the Happy's Funhouse is very simply, there's a carnival that's kind of cropped up at the edge of Arkham. And several people have gone missing. So, of course... You and your intrepid investigators go off to uh, kind of find out what's up. So I'm going to read just a bit of the intro here to set the mood. Most of the stories surrounding Dark's Carnival in town are what draws such large crowds to the regularly empty field just outside of town. In fact, compared to the religious atmosphere of the town, ha, religious, the liberal circus would appear a welcome respite from the more conservative city limits. But some of those stories are slowly making those crowds dwindle. It's those few stories that have reached your ears that have brought you to the Darks Carnival near closing time. The building these stories bring into question is on the outskirts of the circus, a small dilapidated building with a small hand-painted sign that reads, Happy's Fun House. It appears empty and deserted, but if the stories are to be believed, it is anything but deserted. Despite the dingy building telling you to leave, the overlarge doors are inviting you to enter. You ignore your gut and the dingy building and listen to your conscience and the over yep, and the overlarge doors. After all, you tell yourself, it's a small building. This shouldn't take terribly long. And of course, what ensues is a madcap adventure full of clowns, uh, different types of funhouse mechanisms. Uh, of course, you've got almost a Pennywise feel from the main happy uh, clown himself. But overall, a fun run. Very atmospheric. Um, I think on YouTube, I play the dark carnival or creepy clown music in the background, which really fits it. Um, and as I mentioned to some of the people here before we got going today... I actually spiced up some of the clowns in the adventure and gave them all unique abilities, which is similar to what they did with uh, Undimension and Unseen, I believe, in the Return to Dunwich. Uh, and Nate, I believe, had brought that up, which is a very good point. It just gives a little more flavor. Yeah, it makes, makes each enemy feel unique among the rest of them rather than them all being the same, which is cool. Yeah, it adds like really the replay. Adds the replay, adds the flavor, and um, in addition to that, of course, if you want to go check it out, you can go check it out at ArkhamCentral.com, where a lot of the fan maids, if not all the fan maids, uh, are posted for you to uh, print off or, or have 
printed at a studio. Um, and I'd also like to point out one last thing as far as fan mates go. I talked with Nick, uh, I believe Nicholas Corey is his full name, from the Mythos Buster podcast. He's done the Winter Winds campaign. Uh, and I believe the first one in that cycle is Frozen Tracks. Um, I've done that one already once, but I do want to play that and the, the sequel again at least so that we can talk about that for a future episode. But just a lot of great content out there. A lot of people being passionate about the games and giving it their own twist. And Vase, I think, how close is yours to getting done? I am, uh, sorry, I was on mute and didn't realize it. I am on uh, about two weeks away, and I will be giving away copies, and I definitely want to send them to you guys so you guys can play the uh, the scenario. Oh, wow, you've been speeding through that thing. Oh, man, it's been so much work. <laughs> I mean, you know, but yeah, it's, it's so much work. But uh, the test plays got me a ton of great feedback and invaluable, truly invaluable feedback to have someone test play it uh, that you don't play with regularly, so you can really get a feel for what you know, what things are missing, what what you need to change. Uh, so yeah, a couple of weeks away. So possibly by next episode is what you're saying. Most definitely. Nice, nice. Well, um, man, you had um recently gave me a chat in the Discord about. Um, picking up Call of Cthulhu again after a long while. Um, how was that? How's that going for you? And what sparked your interest in wanting to get back into Call of Cthulhu? Well, actually, I've been running. I've been running D and D for my my boys, and I uh, used to run Call of Cthulhu for friends as well. And it's been a while since I've played it, and I and I've wanted to think about getting back into it a little bit more seriously, and then. Uh, so I bought the books so far, and I've been reading up on the, the changes between 7th edition and uh, I think the last time I played it was 5th or maybe 4th, I can't remember. And uh, yeah, there's a, there's a few fairly significant differences, and going back and just uh, trying to find a, a scenario that I want to run, and was reading through some of the old scenarios, and uh, realizing how badly written some of them are and how difficult to they're not very uh, easy to run without a lot of a lot of tinkering yeah yeah I would I'd say that's a fair criticism you need a decent but, amount of prep time ahead of time yeah there's there's I, I know I was reading a couple and I was just sort of like the leaps in logic that are required by the players to sort of connect all the dots would be uh, There'd be a lot of I, I think there'd be a lot of idea roles being made just to, to try to figure out what was going on. I mean, there's some really interesting scenario ideas there, but it's just it's they're just not quite as tuned as I think they could be and would benefit from a little bit of a um, little bit of extra work. But I think that's the case with with any scenario. I know the the one I've been playing with my boys is I've done a fair not a not a ton of tweaking but just trying to to make the themes a little bit more interesting and and uh, draw connections between things that that aren't sort of mentioned in the in the module itself so yeah and i think it you know especially with a investigation game you're gonna have to do a lot of tweaking 
to whatever adventure or scenario you're going to run, just, you know, given the nature of how your players may act or their professions or what have you, you know, there's a lot of variables that go into that, but, um, yeah, I think one of my, one of my, I think one of my issues always with Cthulhu was, was having played a lot of D and D where there's, there's sort of a lot of forward momentum where it's pretty clear where you're going next. It's like, okay, we killed this, we cleared this room, let's go to the next room, we'll clear that. And, and because Cthulhu is pretty lethal if you play it like D&D, um, you, That's don't an understatement. Re- you don't really have that combat option. So you have to look at, at other things a lot. And, and I think some of the, I know some of the scenarios that I was looking at, they just, they just don't really draw the connections as well as they need to. It's sort of do you like think the, they the, do that on purpose or do you think that that's a fault? I think it's a fault. I think some of them it's it's just like I know at the one I was reading it was sort of like okay the players will uh they'll discover this I think they had to make a connection between like these letters that they'd received and this other clue and I'm just like how would anybody make this connection? Like it's just there's no sort of <laughs> there's no link between the two of them and yet the 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 module sort of assumes like they'll read these letters and go aha this is so and so and that's who we need to go get and it's like and but that person isn't going by that name anymore so it's like well how would they even know to put two and two together and then it was just sort of like the the way it ended was very I just felt it was very anticlimactic. It was sort of just like they they took all the horror out of it, and it was just like, okay, you, you just go get this guy, and then everything is okay sort of thing. I'm like, well, that's kind of... Yeah, that's I, not... I think that's fair of a lot of the older scenarios, especially of like the ones from the late 80s and early 90s, when they were, I feel like, still kind of getting their bearings on how to write better scenarios. Um wouldn't but recommend. I also think, you know, having watched a lot of D&D streams lately and, and stuff like that, it's it's I think the nature of role playing has changed a little bit as well, certainly from the time I was playing D&D seriously, where it was, you know, it was a lot more about hack and slash. And and now it seems like the narrative plays a lot more of an important role. And if you look back at some of those those older D&D or Call of Cthulhu modules, the the narrative isn't quite there like they sort of just present a bunch of stuff to you and it's really up to the the game master to to flesh it out yeah i mean that's even true of like older scenarios even like uh curse of strahd or um i guess castle ravenloft for going back to the original AD&D version of it but yeah i mean that scenario is basically like oh strahd invites you to his castle and kidnaps <laughs> and a girl <laughs> yeah so it's it's funny uh i got for D I got the uh what was that one the um the tavern one i forget what it's called the gates of the yawning portal <clears throat> the yawning portal um where it's like all these classic dungeons and i'm looking through them and i'm like man these are pretty like poorly made compared to the the adventures from today's <laughs> um batch you know like it's it's crazy like something uh like white plume mountain it's known as a classic and i'm reading through and i'm like this doesn't make sense why would this creature be here and in the next room there's this other type of creature that's it just doesn't make any sense with it it just you're just supposed to go through it and fight these things 
just because they're level appropriate. <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I am looking forward to uh, eventually running a game at some point of, of Cthulhu and, and possibly streaming it, possibly recording it for posterity to see, just to see how how bad a game master I am. <laughs> and uh, perhaps we'll, we'll find some willing test subjects out there who are willing to... I mean, I'm definitely willing to at least... To run the gauntlet. Yeah, I'm definitely willing to play. I know the last time we played, we had an, a guy, and a, he, I think he ended up turning into a cannibal at some point for some reason. And But we've always had a lot of fun playing Cthulhu. So Yeah, one thing I would recommend um, is I would take a look at Chaosium's um, starter set that they recently released that has three adventures in it, and you can, you can pick up the PDF for like 10 bucks on their website. And those have a lot of... Um, insight on tips for running the game in addition to being able to quickly learn the game and a bunch of pre-gen uh, pre-generated characters so that's a that's a nice way and those scenarios are much better written i would say than the scenarios of old yeah yeah and they, they do a good job of recreating those scenarios too because um one of the scenarios in that box is is an original um release from i think it was 86 and they redid it so Mm -hmm. so if you're interested um i would check that out too yeah is call of cthulhu uh as complex as say like a delta green as the new delta green like there's the storylines and and all that or Um, or is it more pulpy or is so call of cthulhu has obviously call of cthulhu which is the uh, bread and butter for Chaosium in terms of that release. And then Pulp Cthulhu takes it in kind of a, you know, obviously more pulp direction. And those those adventures feel more like an Indiana Jones movie, whereas something from original Call of Cthulhu would feel more traditional Lovecraftian, so to speak. You know, it's less it's less like whipping out your gun and shooting Cthulhu in the face and more like library use and stuff like that mysteries unraveling yeah 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 Yeah. um so that would be the biggest difference and i would say in terms of depth of lore um probably you know you can make it as deep as you want to or as like delta green is like a particular you know set of you know it's like a particular organization within you know a complex convoluted u.s government whereas you know you can make Call of Cthulhu more or less as convoluted as you want to I feel hmm. as long as it all makes sense and your players are having fun I think that's obviously the most important part hmm. um, but yeah um, is there any other games you guys quickly wanted to mention before we wrap up tonight's episode uh, no I did want to shout out a podcast uh, that that deals with Arkham Heart of the Card Game if that's okay I wanted permission. <laughs> yeah, abs- yes, sorry. I was muted there too. <laughs> uh yeah, they're uh they're called the Archivos de Arkham. It's a Spanish language podcast that deals with Arkham Heart of the Card Game. So you can say they're the they're the Spanish language mythos busters. Uh, I've been in contact um a few months ago with Pepe, he's one of the guys there. And uh they're from Spain, so their Spanish is very um lispy and, and full of spits. Hey and, base. Uh, yeah. 
Does Pepe have a machete? <laughs> I'll is, ask is him. Is that insulting or at the very least insensitive? <laughs> That's, no, no, not no, insensitive no. at all. I just wanted to say the two things that uh, Vase likes saying all, all the time with his special accent. That's all. <laughs> Oh, that's too good. I gotta ask him that. But uh, I don't. I don't know that they have too many machetes in Spain. It's not like South America, you know. But but um, yeah, you're not okay. like, you obviously haven't been to Spain. Like right? Yeah, I've never been there, so I can't say for sure. But their their podcast is really fun. They use like this cheesy like dance music uh, in between sections, and it's really funny that the guys have really good chemistry and they're they're fun and they're. They obviously are really into the game, and yeah, I mean, if any Spanish-speaking listeners, if you want an additional podcast to listen to, they put out content very regularly, uh, sometimes once a month, sometimes three or four times a month. And, and I just, might have missed it. How many episodes or how much content do they have out? Oh, they, at this point, uh, they have over 20 episodes. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah, they're... They're pretty consistent, and it's you know it's the same game we play. It's just the Spanish language one. So if any of our listeners, um, you know, have the Spanish version of the game, this is a great podcast to get into because they do have a really really interesting take on the player cards. They go over kind of the same things that we go over, and some of the other podcasts go over, but in Spanish. So just so just real quick, because I don't know enough. Are you bilingual? Am I? Yeah, yeah. Spanish so, is my, my first language. I, I'm actually uh, kind of trilingual. I speak Italian too, but I've, I've oh, forgotten wow. a lot of it. Yeah. So, if you... Okay, so cool. So if you played the game in Spanish, you would have... God, I just wonder how much the atmosphere would change. It makes Forgotten Age a lot cooler, that's for sure. That's very true, actually. Oh, I don't yeah. know, it's, it's interesting to think about. Because when I was in Japan... Uh, and playing Magic, I was learning a lot of Japanese, and the Kamigawa cycle had just come out. So to read oh. about the, the Kami and the Oni and the Kitsune people and stuff and read it in Japanese with the the um, Katakana Hiragana was really atmospheric. So I like you said, The Forgotten Age would be really neat to play in Spanish. I wish I knew more Spanish. Yeah, I mean, some a lot of the character names are... But the thing is, with the Forgotten Age, it's not so much Spanish. The A lot of the characters are more, like, uh, native uh, in, in Mexico and Central America. So a lot of the words, yeah, like... Yeah, that makes sense. Tecnotitlan and, and a lot of these other, you know, um, these, like, um, Ichtaka. These are not regular Spanish words. These are words that are more like the, the natives down in Mexico and Guatemala. So... It, it's not the same per se, although there are, you know, at least in some of the scenarios where you're in Mexico City, present day or 1920s and 30s Mexico City, then then you can get a little bit more flavor from that. But for the most part, it deals with more the natives than the actual Spanish speakers. Yeah, that's cool. What about you, man? Do you have anything uh, you want to give a shout out to before we end tonight's podcast? Uh, no, I don't think so. I'm... I've got, uh, I'll have a preview of the Dream Eater cycle probably coming out sometime this week, so uh, stay tuned for that. And of course there'll be more playthroughs and reviews and 
I'm trying to figure out how I can stream more frequently, so uh, I'm busy looking into that, and it's all so complicated. So, so complicated. You could just have, like, a GoPro on you and stream on the go. Like, I'm going to go to the grocery store now, but in the meanwhile, let's talk about the new investigators. That's right. That's right. Well, it's just... The, the one thing they, they talk a lot about in streaming is that, I mean, you want to be engaging with your your viewers and ch- being able to chat with them. And the problem I have right now is I can't see my chat. So it makes it awfully difficult to do that. So I'm trying to figure out the best way of doing that. And, and uh, I thought there was one solution, and it turns out that solution may not exist anymore. And so we'll see. Yeah, maybe, maybe someone who... Uh who joins our Discord can can help you out, set that up. Maybe there's some tech nerd among our, our listeners yeah. that can help you out with that. Uh, yeah, because, I mean, if I'm going to play, I might as well uh, I might as well stream it. People seem to enjoy it, and, and it's always... I always enjoy talking to, talking to the people who tune in, and it'd be nice just to be able to mesh them a little more seamlessly than I can at the moment, so... Do you stream from your computer? Yep. Um, do you have YouTube on your cell phone? Yep. There you go. Put your cell phone in front of you during Yeah, your but stream. see, I, I really want it on my screen so I can just see it. That's uh. the, like, I don't want to have to look. Like, I, I've, I've tried streaming with, like, another computer beside me so I can mm. watch the monitor there. But I find, like, I have to take my eyes off the screen. So I think if it was, like, just on my screen and I could see it as it happened, that would be... Ideal. Yeah, you, you can create it as an overlay. Yeah. I'm sure of that. I just, yeah. I'm just trying to figure out how to do the best way to do that and then go yeah. to it. Well, very cool. Uh, but uh, as for Arkham Horror, no, I'm just going to, to keep on keep, keep on, on doing what on. I do. Very nice, very nice. Uh, Nathan, you you said you had something? Well, yeah, I, I had spoken with people before the podcast um, and Vase is local, so I can coordinate this with him. But I think I want to do something fairly big at uh, the store that I help manage, uh, Guardian Games in Portland, Oregon. Probably towards the end of October, like the very last Sunday, which I want to say is the 27th. I don't know exactly when Arkham Knights is going to hit, but I mean, not a ton of people are going to have the, the time or the funds to necessarily fly cross country that anyway but um, for people in the Pacific Northwest or anybody that happens to be traveling I think we can just have a fun extra big event you know we can run some labyrinths or we can run some uh, fan maids and maybe do some depths of yoth and you know just the things are the staples maybe have an Iron Man that'd be fun that would be but fun. Um, but yeah we're open to ideas and I, and I think it'd be fun to, to use the podcast to tie in with that so we'll have uh, the podcast in, entered in there, maybe some prizes, uh, maybe some special things for people that attend. It won't be, of course, as big as the uh, Arkham and Flames that Drawn to the Flame did or Arkham Knights or Gen Con. But we, we at least want to get the ball rolling, I think, and uh, just bring the community together. Yeah, did you have a, uh, a date in mind? I'm thinking... Sunday, October 27th, and that date because obviously the game store is going to get really busy for the holidays, so it's right before the holidays hit. Um, it's 
three or four weeks after we have our H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival, which is awesome. Uh, and we can plug the con at the event as well. I think I think that's a good weekend to have it. At. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, and your store is big enough to handle a ton of people. So even if yeah, we, we can have ha- more... We can handle 300 people, but let's count on 30. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even if it ends up being more than 30 people, your store can easily handle it. Should it be double or something, you know? Yeah, that'd be very cool. And we can we can certainly try to get stuff printed out for that time. Um, I can certainly try to arrange that. But yeah, if you're in the Portland area and you want to get together with some of us and play some Arkham, um, we'll we'll keep talking about this subject as the date gets closer on too. So don't feel like you've missed anything yet. Um, and and if I have that, if I have it on the right uh, information. Nate and Lang, you already have plane tickets, which is phenomenal. Vase will host you both. Yes, confirmed. (laughs) I bought them like 12 seconds ago. Nice. Mm. Well, if nothing, you can come to the second annual The Great Old Ones uh, Gaming uh, Convention in 2020. (laughs) We'll do do an East Coast and a West Coast. Nice. I see what you did there. Very well played. That'd be cool. Yeah. But uh, yeah, if no one else has anything to uh, to end tonight's show off with, I guess we'll just end it off with a whimper. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Alrighty, well, um, this is the Great Old Ones Gaming Podcast. We're your hosts, Nate, lost in time and space. I'm Man from Lang from the Whisper and Darkness YouTube channel. I'm Innkeeper Vase Odin from the Twisted Tentacle Inn. And I am Nathan Early, who likes to lurk in the shadows. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you. Thank you.